John chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This story is the culmination of everything that was written in Scripture coming to a head at this point. The Savior of the world on Friday was crucified by his creation. The perfect sacrifice that was given for our sins was made on Friday. And Satan and all of his minions rejoiced on that day. Satan had thought he had won. But on Sunday, the tomb is empty. And we find this young woman, Mary Magdalene, an individual who most of the religious sect of the time would not want to associate themselves with, waking up early and going to the tomb of Jesus. But when she gets there, the tomb is rolled away. The stone is rolled away from the tomb. So what does she do? She runs. Verse 2, she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they have taken my Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. John is uh, uh, very specific in how he refers to himself in, um, in his gospel. He often refers to himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved or the other disciple, as we'll see in a second. He doesn't often mention his own name in the gospel. But here he says the apostle whom Jesus loved. And Mary is talking to them and she says, they have taken my Lord. The they that she is referring to is one of two individuals or one of two groups of people. It's either the religious leaders of the time, the Jews have stolen the body of Jesus, or the Romans have taken the body and put it somewhere else. Never once does it cross Mary's imagination at this point that Jesus is alive. That the tomb is empty because our Savior has risen. She thinks they have taken him. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, who again is John. And they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in. He saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloth laying there. Here's the picture we see. We see these two individuals running very fast. They, in their minds, are probably convinced of what Mary has said, that they have taken him. Peter, we know, is a 
is an individual that is prone to, to anger. He is prone to, to defend. We see him in the garden, and what does he do? He tries to draw a sword. He wants to be there for Jesus. He wants to fight for him. Indeed, he is probably angry. We see John standing there outside of the tomb. He can't go in. He stoops down to look. As he's stooping down to look, somebody brushes past him. It's Peter. Peter's got no problem. He runs right in. He saw the linen cloth lying there. Verse 7. And the face cloth which had been on Jesus. Not lying with the linen cloth, but folded by itself in its place. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb also went in. John gets enough courage after Peter goes into the tomb here. And we have a profound thing that happens to John. It says he saw and believed. Verse 9 makes a distinction. For they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John makes a distinction here between himself and the others who have seen the empty tomb. John says here that he sees the empty tomb. He sees the cloths lying there. And he believes. What does John believe? Is the question we have to ask. John believes what we know. John believes that Jesus is not only no longer in the tomb, but Jesus is alive. What we are going to find in this story is that if the resurrection never happened, our faith is meaningless. If we do not believe that there is an empty tomb, that the linen cloths are laying there, by themselves, that no one stole the body of Jesus, but in fact, he is alive. If we do not believe that to be true, and if it did not actually happen, we have no part with Christ. Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb and does what she is is going to do if the body is still there. The other disciples, we'll find in a second, are still huddled in the room together if Jesus is still in the tomb. Life goes on. We just read in 1 Corinthians here in our, in our reading that we are to be the greatest pitied people on the face of the earth if the resurrection never happened. But John sees an empty tomb and he sees the cloths laying there. And he believes the first individual to believe in the resurrection. Verse 10, the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, poor Mary is still standing there. The disciples should have known. It says that they did not believe the scriptures. Hosea talks about the the king who will return in three days Psalms talk about the fact that the Holy One will not see Sheol. 
There are verses in the Old Testament that talk about that the, the Savior was to come to this earth. Isaiah talks about the suffering Savior who would die for the sins of the nation. They should have known. But they didn't. If they didn't remember the scriptures, they should have remembered what their Savior told them. What Jesus told them while, they, while Jesus was still on the earth in their presence. In John chapter 2, verse 18 through 21, it says, So the Jews said to him, What sign will you show us of these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. How will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken. John chapter 10 verses 17 and 18 say, For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one, not they, no one takes it from me. But I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down. And here is the great news. I have the authority to take it up again. This I charge I, this charge I have received from my Father. Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Even, even they know Listen to this, even they. Matthew chapter 16, verse, uh, uh, I actually have the wrong verse there. Matthew, um, at the end of the book of Matthew here, <laughs> uh, verses 62 through uh, 64 here. The next day, that is the day after, uh, the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember what that imposter said while he was still alive. After three days, I will raise. Therefore, order the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And that last fraud will be worse than the first. Even they know what Jesus said. But Mary. Verse 11 of John chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, again, they have taken my Lord and Savior, and I do not know where they have laid them. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. 
Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? The same thing that the angels had just said to her. Whom are you seeking, Jesus adds. Now we get an insight into what Mary is thinking. Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have taken and carried him away, tell me where you have laid him. Mary not only does not recognize Jesus, but now Mary is looking at the risen Savior and equating Jesus with they. Where have you taken him? Where have you carried him away? In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned to him in Aramaic and said, Rabbanai. Or teacher. John 10 talks about the good shepherd. And one of the things that it says about the good shepherd is that the good shepherd knows his sheep. And what do the sheep know? They not only know the shepherd, but they know his voice. You see, for John, John saw the empty tomb, John saw the linen. And he believed that Jesus was alive. Mary sees the Savior, but then hears his voice. Hears her name come from his lips. She believes. Two different individuals. The same message. He is alive, but again... Two different ways that they come to belief. One sees an empty tomb and believes. The other hears the voice of the Savior and believes. Jesus goes on in verse 17. And he says something interesting. He says, Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Jesus not only wants the disciples to know that he is alive, he wants, to know that, he wants them to know that there is a plan, that this is all part of the plan, that we are working out in front of him, that is being worked out in front of him. I am ascending to my Father. Jesus adds, he says, not only is it my Father, it's your Father as well. Not only is it my God, it's your God as well. The message that Jesus is sending them is one of unity, is one of encouragement, is one of faith. And he starts and he tells Mary to go do this. Mary Magdalene, in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples something great. I have seen the Lord. And that he said these things to her. What courage. I mean, we see one of Jesus' closest disciples leaving and not believing in, in Peter. 
Mary Magdalene runs back and she is so convinced of what she has seen and heard that she not only tells them that she has heard the words of Jesus and he has a message for her, she says, I have seen him. Such courage. Mary believes that Jesus is alive because she has seen and heard him. Verse 19, we are now at Sunday evening, that night. We start at Sunday morning, we are now in Sunday night. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. We get an insight into the disciples' heart. They are gathered together. They are in fear of them. They are in fear of the ones who have just crucified Jesus. We're going to talk about this in a minute, but they didn't just arrest their Savior. They intentionally tried to humiliate him. They intentionally tried to destroy Jesus, his image, his face, his body. It was a brutal death. It was a death meant to intimidate anyone who would follow this person. We have the disciples huddled together. Now it's easy for us. It's easy for us to say, but Jesus told them he was going to die. Oh, but Jesus told them he was going to raise again. Oh, but they had the scriptures. There's one thing that they do not have yet. We'll find that out in a second. But they're afraid. The doors are locked. And it says in the middle of this verse, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now you've already got a group of individuals that are scared. They're in fear for their life. Remember, the doors are locked. And all of a sudden, there's another person in the room. When Jesus says, peace be with you, in a very real sense, I think chaos ensued. When Jesus just appeared. Peace be with you. What we may say today is calm down. Calm. How many of us have had a, a little child that is so excited about something, but there's further instruction that we need to give them? Maybe Christmas morning, where they just want to tear into their presence. And parents, we all say, calm, calm down. Jesus comes into the room, he appears, and he says, Calm down. When he had said this, he had showed them his hands and his sides and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. John sees the empty tomb, he sees the linens, he believes. Mary sees the risen Savior. She hears his voice, she believes. The disciples supernaturally have Jesus appear in the midst of them and he shows them, he gives them evidence that it's actually him. He shows them his wounds and it says they are glad. 
They are glad when they see the Lord. Verse 21, Jesus said to them again, Calm down, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Jesus gives the disciples a job. He's told Mary part of the story here. He said, listen, do not cling to me. In a sense, he's saying, I am not here to stay right now. I am continuing on a journey. And Jesus strengthens them. There's a reason why Jesus says, my father and your father, my God and your God. Jesus continues the story here and he says to them, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. But Jesus not only gives them a job, he gives them the power to do the job. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. We have a beautiful picture of the work of the Trinity here. The Father has sent Jesus. Jesus has done the work and the Spirit is now empowering the disciples. All three members of the Trinity working together in perfect union to accomplish the will of God. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift ever bestowed on believers in Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about this more in next week. But just think about this. The Holy Spirit was given in the Old Testament to individuals for a specific purpose at a time in Israel. Maybe it was one person at a time. Maybe it was two people at a time. But now, we have 11 individuals standing together. Maybe 10 because Thomas isn't there. 10 individuals standing together that have received the Holy Spirit in a single place. The power. The power that is in that room. Not by the might of the disciples will they accomplish this mission, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has given them. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. The other thing that this does for the disciples is what do we find the disciples at the beginning of this, of this little passage here? We find them in fear. The reason that Jesus gives them the Spirit is to empower them. And as 2 Timothy tells us, to not give them a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love and self-control. No longer is there fear. No longer is there chaos. There is calm because the Spirit and the Son are in the room together. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, 
was not with them when Jesus came in. So he told the other, uh, told the, uh, so the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands and the marks of his nails, and place my finger, uh, the marks of the nails, and place my fingers into the marks of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Thomas gets a bad rap sometimes, I feel like. Remember, Thomas has not yet received the Holy Spirit. Thomas is working on information that comes completely from Thomas and what he's witnessed and what he's seen. Remember what we just said a second ago. They didn't just kill Jesus. They tortured him. Brutally tortured him. Thomas, from a human perspective, is saying, how could anyone ever come back from that? It's not just merely that someone would return from the dead. It's that someone would return from this death. And unless I see the wounds, unless I put my finger in them, I will never believe You know, the disciples have to uh, wait until evening to see Jesus. Thomas? Verse 26. Eight days later. For eight days, the other ten disciples are saying, Jesus is alive, Jesus is risen, Thomas, for eight days. Nope. I don't believe His disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with him. Although the doors were locked again, Jesus came and stood among them and says, Peace be with you. You know, the bottom line is we are still sheep. We are. We're still easily spooked, easily scared. And again, Jesus appears in the middle of the room through a locked door. And he says, are we used to this yet? Calm down. Then he went over to Thomas and said, verse 27, Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Our risen Savior comes to Thomas, not in a spirit of indignation, not in a spirit of judgment. He comes over and he says, Thomas, I know your heart. I know what you have said. If If this is what is required, then please do it. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, the most powerful words that Thomas has probably ever said. My Lord and my God. Do you realize what Thomas is proclaiming here? If one of them, one of they, the religious leaders of the time were in the room, Thomas would have been stoned. My Lord And my God. Jesus says, my father, your father, 
my God, your God. Thomas says, my Lord and my God to the risen Savior. Thomas believed that Jesus was alive because he touched Jesus. Because he saw him and touched him. Mary believed because she saw and she heard his voice. John believed because of an empty tomb and linens. Three different groups of people, the disciples, four even, the disciples believed because Jesus showed up and pursued them. Four different ways. All the same message. Jesus is alive. Verse 29, it ends here. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And this is where the story turns to us. Blessed are those who have believed and not seen. These individuals had a tremendous privilege. They did. They saw the risen Savior. They touched the risen Savior. They heard the risen Savior. They audibly heard words come from his mouth. But John makes a point here to include Jesus' words that he says, Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. And this is where we are today. We were not there. We were not there at all. We have not seen. Yet most of us in this room, I would say, we believe. Four different ways, and now five. Jesus is alive. The gospel does change everything. As we have gone through this study here, we have seen who God is. We've seen the issue of sin the fact that man disobeyed a holy and perfect God. We have then seen that there was a plan to reconcile man to God. And we saw the individual that would do the reconciling in the person of Jesus Christ, the perfect sacrifice, fully God, fully man, that would come and live a perfect life, fulfill the law, And become the perfect sacrifice for us on the cross. And then we see the great news here. That sin and death could not hold him. They had no power over this God-man. They had no power over the one the Father sent. They had no power. Jesus in one fell swoop took on the sins of the world, and those sins died with him. They could not hold him and keep him dead. He rose to life again. And here in John, we have the story of his first interactions with people. 
Friends, just as Satan and his minions rejoiced on Friday, so much more, all the more, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, the hosts of heaven, and the beginnings of creation rejoiced on Sunday morning. We have the opportunity this morning, early in the morning, to believe the same thing and rejoice with these disciples. If Jesus had not risen from the dead, we are all to be pitied. Our faith would be meaningless. But as 1 Corinthians says, we are the first fruits. He indeed has raised from the dead and it is cause for us to rejoice this morning. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again.